Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Yvette. I'm an academic coach, author, speaker to um, first-gen BIPOC students. And today I thought I would record a brief episode uh, around my thoughts on institutional neglect and shame among first-generation grad students. This topic came to mind for me because, as a lot of you know, um, you know, unless you're new here, I am an academic coach and I work primarily with first-gen students and early career professionals. So I work with undergrads, I work with grad students, and I work with folks who are recently making the transition into their first job out of grad school. And I have noticed a trend among my grad student clients, and it's that a lot of them have sought me out, have found out about me. Usually it's like a referral friend of a friend, or they find me on Instagram, and they are in need of help and support. And that's why they decided to reach out and to hire me. But why are they needing support? And in several cases, I've noticed that they're dealing with issues of institutional neglect. And they're also experiencing a lot of feelings of shame. These are folks who have been in grad school for more years that they than they care to acknowledge. These are folks who are going into years eight, nine, and 10, and they're just ready. They're like, okay, I'm ready to finish. And I need this extra support. And... I want to share with you what I share with them, which is to say that, yes, they are struggling with institutional neglect and no, that is not okay. And yes, their feelings are valid and yes, they deserve support. And so when I'm talking about institutional neglect, I am talking about an institution's failure to provide their students with the necessary resources they need to thrive. And for a lot of people, especially if you're first gen, especially if you're BIPOC, we sometimes internalize shame uh, as, you know, we start to feel like we are inadequate. We start to think that it's our fault, that we are not doing enough, that we have, we have failed ourselves or that we have too many, you know, things wrong about us or shortcomings or you name it. And I do think that these two things kind of play on each other. There's a relationship between experiencing institutional neglect and then also starting to feel these feelings of shame. There was actually another post that reminded me, not, not just talking to my clients, but you know, when I'm so I'm on social media, there was a post by someone who I won't mention their name, but has is is an academic influencer and is a 
current graduate student. And in their stories, they shared about how they had advanced to candidacy and they had finally uh, several months later filed for their IRB and that they had not shared this publicly and that they had not rewarded themselves or celebrated these milestones because of the feeling of shame. And I sigh because I know what that feels like of comparing yourself to others, comparing yourself to this this timeline that it, that a lot of graduate students are expected to meet that does not account for the many different obstacles that some graduate students have to face because of their multiply marginalized intersectional identities. And um, I mean, I messaged that person, even though I don't know them saying like, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't feel shame, you should celebrate like this is amazing, congratulations. And I thought to myself, like, I wish I could say this in people's ears everywhere about how, yes, you should celebrate your milestones. Yes, your timeline might look different and that's okay. And if you're struggling with institutional neglect, it's not your fault. There's nothing wrong with you and it is not okay. So what does institutional neglect even look like? Like, How do I even identify that? How do you figure that out for yourself? That can look like having an MIA mentor or advisor. And this one is common. A lot of people say, oh, my advisor's hands off. My advisor's hands off. I haven't talked to them. They don't respond to my emails. It's been months since we last met. That is neglect, y'all. Even if they warned you about it, if they warned you about it, or if you're thinking of going to grad school and someone says, I'm a hands-off professor, you make sure you ask, okay, how hands-off? Or how often do you meet? typically meet with your graduate students? Because I feel like that's just justifying neglect, saying I'm a hands-off professor. So you want to find out what you're signing up for if you're new to grad school. But if you are a current graduate student, just know that you are entitled to meeting with your advisor on a regular and consistent basis and that it should not be okay for this person to go missing on you for months at a time. It can also look like not getting adequate funding. And I know this is kind of like, mm, it depends on what type of program you're in because some programs, especially the professional master's programs, there's an expectation that you're not going to be getting funding. But if you're in a doctoral program, I would not recommend accepting an offer unless you get uh, something close to a full funding package because you are not only, it's not even full funding. I mean, I've talked about this in other episodes. You are going to be providing so much labor to this program and to this institution, bordering on or sometimes definitely being exploited by that institution, getting paid poverty level wages or stipends and the least they can do is provide you with funding so if you're not getting adequate uh funding to make at least your bare bones budget to to meet your bare minimum bills to survive that's not okay and i feel the same way about this with graduate students as i do about postdocs i have clients who have gotten these very prestigious postdocs and they're living in high cost of living areas and all of a sudden they do the math and they're like oh it's the most i'm ever going to this this is the biggest salary i've ever made in my life and then they take that salary 
And we together do the math. Okay, let's take out 30% to account for taxes and benefits. Okay, now that's your actual net income, what you're actually going to take home. Now let's divide that by 12. That's your take home amount that you have to live on every month. And they realize that the majority of that's going to go to their cost of living, to their housing. That's not okay. That is not okay. And I say this as someone who is still not making a high income. And I say not yet because I am working on it, but not having adequate funding to survive, that's not okay. Another form of um, institutional neglect is if your department or your program promotes isolation. Yes, I understand that there are a lot of doctoral programs, mine included, it's, it's very common in the humanities where you're expected to do isolated research or independent research or sole authored research. I understand that. But if there's no sense of community, if you're not getting invited to things, if you don't feel safe and your institution, so that's why you're isolated, that is a no-no for me. Institutional neglect can also look like when you face microaggressions, when you face discrimination, when folks are not including you, are not um, making you feel a sense of belonging. And so again, you feel like your presence is not, it's, it's this, um, a lot of us who are uh, people of color, we experience this like, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's, it's this twofold experience of being both invisible and hyper-visible. So you feel like invisible in that your identity isn't like fully accepted and embraced in your institution. Um, so you feel, you feel invisible in that way, but then hyper-visible because you might be one of a couple of POC if you're in a predominantly white institution or in a predominantly white department. So that can be tricky and that can make you really feel like you don't belong and even like you're being neglected. Like you're there, but you're not really there. Does does that make sense to you? So that's what I mean when I think about institutional neglect. And I think about, there's also like some really, really obvious examples of folks who have had their advisors pass away or leave or retire, and then they get passed around, kind of tossed around to different professors, and they're kind of left off to kind of figure things out by themselves. That, no, you sh you deserve better than that. So again, that's those are the examples. That's what I mean when I'm talking about institutional neglect. All right, what do I want to say? <laughs> I think we should talk about how do you even cope with this? If you are, if you realize, yep, that's me, you know, something that I said resonated with you, you're dealing with neglect, you're feeling um, shame, you're struggling in your graduate program. I want to say this, and I'm going to say this over and over and over again, you're going to get annoyed at me, but you deserve to ask for help. You deserve support. You deserve to advocate for yourself. So that is my tip or advice for you. If you are in this situation, you need to find support, find sign support in the form of peers. And it doesn't have to be folks in your department. It can be peers in 
other departments at your institution or even in other programs nationwide. And yes, networking is part of that process. And it's okay to put yourself out there to start a LinkedIn account or create some whatever, join whatever social media um, feels comfortable to you. I recommend LinkedIn because that you'll find a lot of academics there. Twitter is also really great, although I've never personally been, I, I never quite figured out Twitter. So I'm not really on there as much, but I know academic Twitter is a thing. So find the space where you feel like you can build community with peers and like-minded folks. Similarly, seek out mentors. Even if you are someone who has had um, a bad experience with advisors and mentors, that's not to say that there aren't good people out there who will have your back, who will uh, not only be a mentor, but might even also be a sponsor, someone who's going to say your name in places. I had someone who recently sponsored a student so that I could coach the student to share some study strategies with that student. That's amazing. That's not just a mentor. This person is a sponsor, and I think that is awesome because it's like a twofold thing, supporting a small woman of color-owned business while also sponsoring a first-gen student of color. So um, anyway, now I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm forgetting what I was saying. Oh, yeah, so seek the support, find other mentors, femtors. Um, don't get discouraged if you have run into some bad apples. There are some amazing people in higher ed and even outside of higher ed too. Another thing I'm going to say is just a, just a gentle reminder that if you have access to mental health services, please take advantage of them while you still have graduate student insurance because there will be a day when you wish you could go see a therapist and not have to pay a full rate. Even a sliding scale rate can be a lot for some of us. So if you have access, even if you're not struggling with anything major, it's just like a tune-up. It's just like an annual exam. Like we all deserve to get support. And a therapist is a great way to do that. Um, another thing you can do is to... Is, going back to this topic of networking to find community outside of your institution as well. That can be online, that can be in person, whatever feels good and safe and comfortable for you. Um, another huge, huge thing that will help to combat the shame that you might be feeling is to exercise self-compassion to try to remind yourself to talk to yourself and to treat yourself the way that you would to a friend. If a friend shares something with you and they're struggling, are you going to say, mm, you should just suck it up or mm, you should have tried harder. Mm, you're a failure. If you were to say that to your friend, why would you say that to yourself? Self-compassion is huge. And it's actually a great way to combat a lot of the isms and to combat white supremacy and to combat patriarchy. Because if you're compassionate with yourself and you're like, why am I treating myself this way? And you think, wow, I can, act. it all roots back to white supremacy. It all roots back to patriarchy. Why am I trying to get myself to do too much than my body can handle? Like, why do I think I have to do this all by myself? Like, 
why do I think I have to follow this timeline that's not quite working with me and my circumstances? You, you can tie it back to the root of the problem and know that it's not you that's the problem. That self-compassion is going to it's going to help you out a lot. It, I know it helps me a lot. And then, like I said, make sure that you speak up, that you advocate. It's very uncomfortable. It's hard to set boundaries. It's hard to ask for what you need. You may experience pushback. It can be risky, but think about like, do the benefits of you advocating for yourself outweigh the cons of potentially someone pushing back a lot of times the benefits do outweigh it so i i will encourage you to advocate for yourself because it's going to be one of multiple instances for the rest of your life that you're going to need to advocate for yourself all right um i want to add a quick message to the professors who listen to this podcast, the administrators who listen to this podcast, and just say that you play a role in making sure that you combat, that you minimize or completely eradicate institutional neglect in your department, and especially with your students. And so make sure that you think twice about the type of support and services that your department provides, that you provide through your mentorship and femtorship. Uh, how can you keep um, promoting diversity and representation and inclusion and belonging and all these things, uh, especially if you're not a person of color, especially if you're not someone who holds certain privileges, even more so you should be thinking about ways to increase representation and also shift the culture to be more inclusive of all different types of people. Um, make sure that you can not only be a mentor, but be a sponsor to others, uh, that you put people in touch, you know, to open up opportunities for your students. And also modeling is really important. So I just want to, maybe, maybe this needs to be shouted on the rooftops as well about the importance of modeling. If you are a mentor or a mentor to others, because like, for instance, I had a client who I was working with, helping her with the grad school apps. And she would constantly message me back, like within minutes of when I would send her an email. And, you know, I told her just a heads up, I take 24 to 48 hours on average to get back to people. And also it's completely okay for you to take as long as you need to get back to me. Like I usually don't give people a heads up or I usually wait and give people seven days response to get back to me before I will message them again and say, hey, you know, did you get my last message? Is everything okay? Um, and so I just wanted to remind her, like, you don't have to reply to me right away. Like, it's okay. I know you have a life outside of this. And um, that was just one way of me modeling to her that you don't have to be on top of things 24 seven. You don't have to be on 24 seven. You deserve to like step away from your email and to rest, but modeling can look like anything. It can look like, you know, um, showing your students when you're taking breaks, it can look like, uh, being more open about the type of boundaries that you have, about how you take care of yourself and promote your own wellness and can look like reminding others by, doing it yourself. It's kind of like, reminds me of parenting. 
I always think like the best lesson learned is the one that you model to your children. Don't tell your children, hey, don't, you know, smoke or drink alcohol if you yourself are smoking and drinking alcohol in front of them. And that's a, you know, that's a an exaggerated example. But um, whatever it is that you want to promote, you should be modeling that as well. If you're modeling overwork, if you're modeling burnout, if you're constantly working, 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 you really think your students are going to try to take care of themselves during that process? No. So we got to check ourselves too, um, to make sure that we're, that, that our actions are not promoting institutional neglect too. All right. So that is all I had to say about neglect and shame off the top of my head. I didn't um, prepare many notes today, uh, but it is a topic that I've had on my mind the last couple of days that I thought, okay, even if it's not the most eloquent discussion, I want to raise attention to it so that you start to think about it too, and that you start to do things so that you make sure you don't get yourself in a situation where you experience neglect and shame. And if you do, so that you know what what to do to get out of it. Okay. I hope y'all have a good rest of your week and I'll talk to you all next time. Thanks so much for joining me in the grad school fem touring podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three ways you can support the show. The first is to make sure you're subscribed and leave a review of the podcast. If you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you become eligible for a free half-hour coaching session with me. Yes, that's right, one free session. Once you leave a review, you can email me a screenshot and I'll send you a link to sign up. The second way to show your love is to get yourself a copy of my free 15-page grad school fem touring kit, which includes resources on research, organization, grad school, and career prep. Go to gradschoolfemtouring.com slash kit to get it today. The third and last way to support my show is to follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and occasionally TikTok with the handle at gradschoolfemtouring. Thanks again and until next time.